So I'm pretty excited this morning. We're doing a new series. It's up on the screen. It is called Kaleo. Could everybody say Kaleo with me? Kaleo, which means called. It's a Greek word meaning called. And in this series, we're going to look at four specific callings for all of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, go ahead and take your notes out. Does anyone need notes? Do we have any extra notes? Raise your hands if you need notes. We'll get you. Absolutely. We're doing the fill in the blanks thing today. For those of you that like to do such a thing. I'm more of a don't take any notes and just forget everything kind of guy. That's why it takes so long for the Lord to speak to me. <laughs> oh, you mean God loves me? Oh, I should have wrote that down. Oh. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> All right. Taking notes. First calling that we're going to look at. Write this down. We need to understand that as disciples of Jesus, we are called to care called to care every single one of you no one's off the hook you are to reflect the compassion and the care of god we are called to care for those around us those who are in need it's so unfortunate but really in today's society we as christians we are not known as a people who care for others i don't know how that happened but often non-christians when they look at us they don't feel like we care about them they they just kind of think we have this agenda the agenda of don't do this and don't do that get rid of that sin, get rid of that sin, and trying to get them to pray that prayer. But if we asked them, do you care about us? They would probably say, no, you don't care about them. But I would just say this isn't a new phenomenon. As much as we think it might be, this has actually been happening since the very beginning of the church. I want to show you the scripture to kind of show that. Philippians, which is in the New Testament, chapter 2. Verse 20 and 21 explains this very well. Paul's talking to the people in Philippi, and he said... Truthfully, I have no one else like Timothy who generally, genuinely cares about your welfare. I have no one like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Now, for me, this is actually a, a very sad statement. See, Timothy, when he wakes up, he's waking up thinking about you. But everyone else, they don't. Verse 21, he says, all the others, all the others care only for who? They care only for themselves. He said, all the others only care for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus Christ. That's a tough statement. Did you, did you hear that? That's in the Bible. Yeah, I got Timothy, but everyone else, they only care for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus. And as I look at that, honestly, if I'm truthful with myself, a lot of times in my own life, that's a real reflection of where I'm at. I care for myself, right? What's in it for me? What's this going to cost me? And more importantly, how is this going to benefit me? And Paul says, you know what? I got Timothy who really cares for you. All the rest of them, they only care for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus Christ. I hope you feel the intensity of that this morning. It's intense. It's even heartbreaking. Recently, I'll share a quick story. I was walking down, this was just a couple of weeks ago, walking downtown Sumner. And I had this experience that really shook me at my own failure in all of this. The family, uh, we had gone out to lunch with my parents. And I was walking out from the restaurant by myself, uh, trying to find my dad, who had taken the girls like he often does after we're done eating, and taken Ava and Addie uh, for a walk. But I, I had to find them. I was kind of in a hurry because uh, the kids' lunch had come with ice cream. And so I'm trying to find my dad and the kids before their ice cream melts. And I'm walking, but right there on the sidewalk next to me is there, there's a sitting, this older lady, and she has a basket uh, full of things, and she has this cardboard sign. I, I don't really know what it said. I didn't take time to read it. But my first thought was, you know, I, I should help her. 
it looked like she needed help. I, I should help her. But then as soon as I had that thought, I began to have a conversation begin to play in my mind. Have you ever had that conversation before where you kind of argue with yourself? Well, you should help her, Dan. But I'm in a hurry. I, I got to find my girls. I got to find my girls. In, in fact, she's probably there for a reason anyway, right? You ever think that? You know, there's a reason she's there. And, and she's, maybe she's just waiting for someone to come and help her. Maybe someone else will stop and help her. And so I have this conversation playing in my mind. And, and then I did the weirdest thing. I just walked by. I didn't help. I can't believe I did it. But I just walked by. And as I'm walking, I, I, I see Grandpa and I see the kiddos and they're at the park and they're playing. And even as I'm walking, I, I realize that I should turn around and I should help. But I just kept on walking. I knew I should have helped. But I just kept on walking. And this morning, I feel that in my heart. You see, there was no one else there. No one else there. It was just me and her. And I didn't stop. And, and the key thought that I'd like for you to write down is this. If you're taking notes, to say that you care, this is so, so important. To say that you care but not to act is to not care at all. To say that you care but not act is to not care at all. To say that you care for someone who's in need, to say you're a true believer, someone who is full of compassion. But to not act is not to care at all because compassion, I want you to get this, it is more than a feeling. It demands action. True compassion, it demands action. In fact, the word in the Greek in the New Testament that is translated as compassion is the word splagnisomai. You can show off with that one if you want with your friends or if you do Bible spelling bees for fun, you could learn that. Does anyone do Bible spelling bees for fun? Okay, only me. I don't even do... What am I talking about? But look at this word. You might not have seen it before. It's a very rich word. And complicated to say, but it is a very rich word. If you're taking notes, it means to have the bowels yearn. It means to feel deep sympathy. It means to ache so much on the inside that you are moved to action. It's the word that is translated as compassion, but I hope that you can see that this definition it is much more than compassion. It is this inward aching for someone who is in need, that it moves us, that it drives us, that it compels us, that it shakes us into action. When you look at the verses that talk about Jesus in compassion or Jesus in splachnisomai, always, immediately after this feeling, there is action. Every time you see it, this feeling of compassion is followed by an act of goodness. Three quick examples of this. Matthew 14, 14. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had, what did he have? He had splachnisomai. He had compassion on them. And so what did he do? Say it with me. He healed their sick. He acted. He felt. And he acted. Matthew 20, 34, Jesus encounters two blind men. Scripture, scripture tells us Jesus had compassion on them. And then what does he do? He acted. He touched their eyes. He touched their eyes. He healed them. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had splagnisomai. He had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do? He began teaching them many things. He felt so deeply. He had to act again to say that we care, but not to act is to not care at all. So there's Jesus, the example for us. And here's the reality in the Christian life. This is true of everyone in this room who professes Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. The closer you get to Jesus... The closer you get to his example, the closer you get to Jesus and his heart, the heart of God, the more that you care about what he cares about. 
And the more that you care about what he cares about, the closer you get to Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more that you care about the things that he cares about. And the more that you care about the things he cares about, the closer you get to Jesus. And we just begin to get this positive snowball effect. The opposite is true, right? We don't like talking about the opposite, but we've all been there before. The less you think about Jesus, the, the, maybe you're not, you know, really hanging out with him much. Maybe you've kind of forgotten that he even exists. The less you care about the things that he cares about. And the less you care about the things that he cares about, guess what? The world's not going to get you to care about the things that he cares about. So the less you're going to be hanging out and clo- being close with Jesus. And the, and the further away you are from Jesus, the less you're going to care about the things that he cares about. And the less that you care about the things that he cares about, guess what? The further away you're going to get from Jesus. Has that ever happened to you where like two weeks later you're like, whoa, how did I get here? Like it happens so fast, doesn't it? It's just this negative snowball effect. Well, this morning, we want to go the positive route, right? Can we just throw the negative snowball at somebody and get rid of it and move forward with the positive snowball effect? We want to get rolling in the right direction because here's the thing. Do you know what Jesus cares about a whole lot? He cares about people. A whole lot. People matter to him. And so that I pray this morning that people would matter to us as well. So we're going to look at the story of the good Samaritan in Luke Chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, I want to set it up for you. There's this expert of the law. He's debating with Jesus. He's like, Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you tell me, what does the law say to do? And this man comes up with a pretty good answer. He says, love the Lord your God. You've heard this before with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you're right. Go and do that. The guy says, okay, but I got to ask you something first. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I got to know what neighbor you're talking about, right? Are you you talking about the neighbor that just moved uh, into the house down the street? Are you talking about the kid in my science class? Or maybe you're talking about the person in the apartment complex down the hallway from me? Or are you talking about the person in the Starbucks line in front of me, right? Which neighbor are you talking about? In fact, verse 29, he says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to care for? I love Jesus. He says, okay, let me tell you a little bit, little story. I love Jesus' little stories. He says, a man, no, sorry, a, a rabbi uh, walked into a bar. Anyway, um, a man was going down from Jerusalem. That's a joke, not a story. Okay, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. Jerusalem to Jericho falls into the hands of robbers. I want to pause right there. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a dangerous road. This is a 17-mile trip, 3,000 feet in elevation down. It is dangerous. It is commonly known as uh, a place where these band of robbers, they would hide behind rocks. They would jump out. They'd beat everything out of you. Just beat everything out of you. If you have a new car, you know, the one with the fancy tires and the wheels that spin, you're not taking this car down this road. You will lose it. They will beat you up. They will take you out, and they will drive away. No, they didn't have cars back then, but it's an analogy. But that's basically what's going on. So this guy, he's, he's pretty nervous. He's going down this dangerous road. And they strip him, right? They, they do what he, what he thought they might do. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him. They take off, leaving him half dead. I want you to think about this. Let's get the visual of this. I don't want to just pass over this. These robbers, they see the guy. They come out. They beat the tar out of him. They rip off his clothes. They leave him half dead. I need you to picture this. He's got nothing. He might not make it. He's in bad shape. Well, if you know the story, there's some good news, right? Two religious guys come along. This is good news, right? Verse 31, a priest or someone might say a pastor, someone like, you know, we could say Pastor Dan happened to be going on the same road, walking, trying to find his girl so they could eat their ice cream. And when he saw this man, 
What did he do? Say it aloud with me. He passed by on the other side. All right, well, just for a second, let's put ourselves in the priest's shoes. I mean, maybe he was dealing with some problems. Maybe it was day off. Maybe he had to get home to deal with an issue between his wife and his kids. Or maybe he's thinking to himself, like, maybe we would think this could be a trap, right? He knows how dangerous this is. I've heard of this before. This guy, maybe you could get really hurt. Maybe the guy that's on the road, maybe he's faking it. And when I go over to try to help him, the four robbers are going to jump out from behind the rocks and get me. This could get messy. I don't really want to get involved. I mean, let's be honest. This guy probably had it coming to him, right? There was probably some bad gambling debt, and they're just paying him, right? He's getting what he deserves. So this conversation, maybe this conversation is going on in his head, much like the conversation that I had when I saw the lady on the sidewalk. So this conversation that goes on, he's talking to himself, and he convinces himself not to talk. But hey, we got good news. Verse 32 comes along. Now we got a Levi. A Levi. But he comes to the place... What does this guy do? Scripture says, say it with me. He passed by on the other side. Passed by on the other side. He kept on walking. If you're taking notes, you will always have an excuse to justify not getting involved. Always have an excuse. It's so true. When you see someone in need, just expect to have that conversation in your head because you're always going to have an excuse. I've already said it, several of them, but right, I'm running late. I'm running. I have no room. I have no time in my schedule. I don't even know this person. What if I help them and they don't want to be helped and they sue me? You know, I got my own issues at home. It's seriously, I'm barely keeping it together. And this person, this might be a long drawn out thing. Maybe it's not just a one time event and maybe they're kind of needy and maybe they start latching on to me. And I really do not have the time, the energy or the resources for more relationships. Let's be honest this morning. This is the truth of the Christian life. Be honest with yourself that you will always be able to come up with an excuse, a reason not to be involved. The conversation will play in your head, but remember this. To say that we care and to not act is to not care at all. As Christians, we are called to care so deeply that we have to act. This morning, I want to give you three thoughts out of the story. Three thoughts. The first one, again, if you're taking notes, is this. So good. We need to recognize, number one, that compassion interrupts. Compassion interrupts. Compassion will often interrupt our schedule. It's rare that you're going to wake up and say, you know what? Today I've got nothing going on and I am just going to go out and look for someone to help. I'm not saying you haven't done that before. And there are some really Christian people here that are awesome and wear robes that do those kind of things. But for the rest of us... We're probably not waking up that way. Generally, for most of us, God has to interrupt our schedule with something we did not plan, something we weren't counting on. It's divine interruption. Have you ever been divinely interrupted? Yes. Here's the story. It's it's pretty awesome. Verse 33 and 34. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, what does it do? What does he do? It says he took pity on him. He took pity on him. Guess what that word is in the Greek? Anyone want to give it a shot? (laughs) No, it's the same word. Isn't that awesome? He felt the same kind of compassion. But here's the weird thing. Okay, this dude that was all beat up. He's a Jew. And the guy who comes along, scripture says he's a Samaritan. 
And Jews and Samaritans, you might be like, well, why is that weird? Well, because Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. Jews, they totally despised, hated, loathed the Samaritans. Jews, uh, they would walk around the entire city not to have to encounter a Samaritan. To to Jews, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. They wanted nothing to do with them. But then the Samaritan, one who is an enemy, he would come and stop and have compassion on him. Verse 34, this is big time. The Samaritan, he went to him. He went to the man who was in need. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey. He took him to an inn and he took care of him. Now, you, you got to think about this. Again, don't pass by this. This guy is in trouble. He's dying. The Samaritan stops. He says, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to do what I can. And so he wraps him up. I want you to visually see this. Wraps himself up. He grabs something out of his bag, right? And he pours it on the man. And then he lifts this man up. This man is half dead. Have you ever tried to lift someone like that? It is hard. It's awkward. But he lifts him up and puts him on his donkey. And then he travels. We don't even know how far, but he travels on this 17 mile trip of this journey, walking alongside, taking care of this guy, bringing him to the nearest hotel. He's walking. The guy is on the donkey. What just happened? Compassion interrupts. Do you see it? Compassion interrupts. It interrupts the Samaritan's day because this Samaritan, I can I can guarantee you, he did not wake up that this morning and say, I'm going to look for a half dead guy that I can go help. No, he had his own plans. He had his own thing going on, but compassion interrupts. I want to tell you a quick story. Last Thursday, we decided as a family, we were going to sit down and have a little family devotional time. It was Monday, Thursday, where you remember the last supper. And just as we sat down to open our Bibles, just as we sat down, we heard a knock. I go to the door. It was one of you. You were there to pick something up that you needed. But instead of just giving it to you and sending you on your way, I invited you in. And then to take it a step further, I didn't just invite you in. I handed you a Bible and I said, sit down with our family. And we invited you into our family devotional time. And you were awesome. You were so polite. You were so kind. And you engaged beautifully in the discussion we were having about Jesus. We had a great time. Now, you could say that person interrupted our family time. But I'll tell you right now, him joining us for our devotional, it was the most meaningful thing that happened that night. It was so meaningful because we knew that God had interrupted something that we had planned with something that he had planned. Come on. And it opened up an opportunity for us to show love and compassion towards that person. Mary and I, we talked about it afterwards. That, that happened. It was amazing. That person coming in, it was just beyond us. It was bigger than us. We saw how God had orchestrated the whole thing. But we had to allow God and allow room for God to interrupt our plans. Some of us, we're so rash with our own agendas, our own schedules, that over and over and over again, we miss out on these divine opportunities. You watch this week. They will come. I promise you it will be something. There's going to be someone coming into work after they just found out they have breast cancer and you're going to be there and they're going to need someone to talk to. Or maybe you're going to have a friend, a guy friend who had his wife just leave him for another man. And this guy's going to be devastated or someone else who lost their job or they don't know where to go or someone who's just lost their apartment because they can't pay rent and you're going to be there. Or maybe it's someone from your life group and they need to talk. And I just declare of you that you will be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit, sensitive enough to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to God that you will allow God to interrupt you and show them like Nisomai, the compassion of God. Because compassion it often interrupts. 
Second thing, if you're taking notes, it's this. Compassion, not only does it interrupt, but it costs. It costs. It costs something when we care. Here's the story. Luke 10, 35. The next day, the Samaritan, after spending the night with this poor guy, he takes out two silver coins. Now, how much is that? That's about two days' wages. So this guy takes out some money worth two, two days of work, and he gives it to the innkeeper. He says, look after this guy. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense, say extra, extra expense you may have. So he didn't just hand this guy off and say, you know, now I'm done. I did my part. Now you take care of it. No, he said, I got to go, but I'll be back. I'll be back. And I promise you when I'm back, I will cover any extra expense that he has. This is the extra mile type of compassion. Even if it costs me, even if it inconveniences me, I'm going to show compassion to you. I want to see compassion displayed where it actually costs something. This is so valuable to me in my own life, and I I want it to be valuable in your life as well, where compassion actually costs something. I want to encourage you, find a way to give to those in need where it costs you financially. For some of us, money has such a tight grip on our lives. But I want you to notice, look at the story. The Samaritan's compassion is directly linked and directly involves spending some money. I want you to see that. Some of you, you need to hear that this morning. Again, money has such a tight grip on your life. Let it go. You need some freedom in your giving. Again, to care for someone, it's more than just a feeling. It's an action. It's an action. You know, as a church, we have made so many decisions that have cost us something. Just this past week, we shipped a thousand Bibles and over 4,000 pamphlets to Ghana. We're sending another 3,000 this week to help spread the good news of Jesus while we're over there. I got to be honest, shipping is not cheap. It isn't. But we know that these materials will be placed in the hands of people that are needy, that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Also, recently, we bought them a generator. Also, recently, we bought them a sound system. We've given monthly support to Reverend Maxwell Twinifor over there. There is a cost, but we have been called to care for the people of Ghana, and we care so deeply that we have to act. Maybe for some of you, financially, financially, it doesn't cost you much, Right? You can cut a check for someone who's in need, but it's not going to cost you much. And so I'd say for you, maybe it's not money. Maybe for you, you probably need to give some time. Because time, I mean, time is costly, right? Time is precious. We have so little of it. But here's a really good example of giving of your time. This last Sunday, like Easter Sunday, I was blown away. I was so impressed. We had so many volunteers giving of their time. And they gave of their time so that people could come through those two doors out there and hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. We had 30 people here, not on Sunday morning, on Saturday night. 30 people on Saturday night coming here, working their little tails off to get this place ready for Sunday morning. Last Sunday was a huge operation from the musicians that played to the pastors who preached, to the actors who acted, to the artists who created those pieces of art, to the two ladies who ironed scripture onto over 200 pieces of cloth, to the children's workers, to the hospitality suite, to the ushers, to the greeters, to the setup and teardown, to the sound person, to the media, to the security team, to the nursery workers. I'm probably missing someone. It was just this incredible decision display of compassion, all of them giving up their time to care for us. True compassion. True compassion. And I'm here to say compassion often interrupts, but it also often costs. 
And then the third thing, if you're taking notes, I love this one. It's so beautiful to me. Compassion. It changes lives. It changes lives. Look at Jesus. Follow his trail through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just watch as time and time again he is interrupted. Watch as he gives. Watch as he heals the blind. Watch as he forgives. Watch as he spends time with people that are so dirty that society would not even give him the time of day. Watch as he has time for the little children, as he has compassion for the widows, actually shows a real concern for the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Watch as he reflects the compassion of God. He shows compassion, splagnisomai, to people who are in need. He felt so deeply that he was compelled to act. And we are to follow his footsteps. We're to follow his footsteps. Yet for so many of us, we just walk on by. We walk on by. We say we care. But to say we care and not act is to not care at all. Compassion, the compassion that Jesus has and that we are called to have, it acts and it changes life. One of the best examples I know of this is the man sitting in the front row and I want to introduce him before he comes up. But his name's Andrew. Andrew and I were buddies from high school. Um, we were tennis partners, actually. We made it to state our senior year. Um, it was awesome. He's, he's really good. Uh, he beat me actually a couple months ago. Um, and he, he, like in tennis, not like physically, but, um, just a very amazing athlete, but also just an amazing person. When I, when I talk about the trout farm guy, you know, the guy that travels around the world to all those dangerous countries and, uh, supervises and oversees trout farms. This is the guy. Um, so if it smells a little bit in here, that's why, but, um, that is so mean. I said at first service and I felt bad. I feel bad now. I love you, Andrew. I know you take showers, but you work with trout all day. I mean, it's just the honest truth. Anyways, but uh, he is about to blow your mind uh, with the life that God has called him to live. Would you welcome him up to the stage? Andrew Barfoot. All righty. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, he's given me 15 minutes, uh, which is... About enough time to tell stories about Dan. I told one earlier, but I'm going to tell a different one now. Because um, I've got the pulpit. I can. Um, but you see, I, Dan and I had a locker next to each other in the PE locker room in high school. And um, he, he had a weightlifting class. I was taking like volleyball and tennis. But here's Dan in weightlifting class. And every single day, he would come in. He'd walk to the locker. He'd take his shirt off. And he immediately walked over to the sink, stood in front of the mirror. Checked himself out And by the grace of God Now instead When he looks in the mirror He sees a reflection of Jesus And he helps us to do the same And And he uh, He's done the same for me uh, For the past uh, many years That we've been friends Uh, I get together with him often And get to share A little bit of the story That I'm going to tell now uh, And he's been a great cheerleader for me in that. So thank you, uh, Dan, for having me. Um, and as I get started today, I want to point you to this picture that's up here behind me. Uh, this picture is actually taken last Sunday, uh, immediately after uh, going to Easter service. I headed down the road. I, I go to church up in Seattle, University Presbyterian Church, and um, headed down the road a couple miles to Seattle Children's Hospital uh, and got to see my, my two girlfriends. One of them's here sitting in the front. Sarah Ann's her name. Um, but in the middle is the girlfriend I want to tell you about today. Uh, her name is Elise. Uh, she's a 10-year-old girl. Uh, this picture was actually taken her last full day in the hospital. 
as she finished treatment for rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer that she's now battled twice, um, having relapsed. Um, and by the grace of God and, and the skill of many great doctors and caregivers, she has beat those odds and she um, is, is home now. Um, but along the way, I got to, to become dear, dear friends with Elise. Uh, in fact, she, she and I joked the other day, she called Sarah Ann from my phone and uh, it was a Friday night, two nights before this, and she, she called and said, um, Hi, this is um, Andrew's other girlfriend. He's not coming to see you, so find another guy. <laughs> and as I look at it, this girl, she's got me wrapped around her fingers. She, um, she has gotten me to do some pretty foolish things. Uh, in fact, one time I lost a bet to her and had to spend a date night with her in, back home in Yakima. Um, dressed as Justin Bieber for the night. Uh, and one time, just recently, her nurse practitioner is a good friend of mine, and, and her conspired on Valentine's Day. She was going to be in clinic for chemo. And so they conspired to have me show up as um, Cupid and to deliver a box of chocolates. And I think they're going to put a picture of that up here. It's pretty ridiculous, um, I will say. It's actually absurd. And... And as I look at that, that picture, um, I wonder how and I wonder why. Um, why me? Why did I have a chance uh, to do this? Why uh, is Elise my friend? And as I do, I look back about 14 years, the summer of 2000, and I look back on a story that reflects what Dan talked about today, and that's the story of interruption. God interrupted my life in a major way. Uh, I was working at my church as a children and family ministries intern, which was kind of a crazy story in its own right to even get to that place. But part of that job was to go volunteer at this new thing called Camp Side by Side. Uh, the church had started this ministry where we were going to care for families of kids with cancer at uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. And to be honest, I wanted nothing to do with being there. When I first heard about it, I thought, ah, it looks, that seems kind of cool. But as it got closer and closer, I was terrified. I wanted nothing to do with being there. There was a chance, They even told us there was a chance we weren't going to have to go, that they were overstaffed. And I was just celebrating. I'm like, yes, I don't have to go. Well, I went. Uh, and on the first day of that, that camp, it was still pretty disorganized. It was the first time. They hadn't quite put all the, the pieces together. And I'm sitting up and we had a volunteer chapel. And I'm sitting there and the director comes up and he taps me on the left shoulder and he he says, hey, would you mind, you and Jamie, would you mind leading the games at our club time tonight? It's kind of a young lifestyle club, if you're familiar with that, which basically means be goofy, be funny, and make a fool of yourself. And, and I remember looking at him, I'm like, there are three guy interns here, two of which are funny, and me. Like, I am not the guy you want for this. But my nature is, there's a need, there's a job to be done, so let's... Let's do it. Let's see what happens. And so I got kind of excited and I ran down after chapel to the, the tent and started digging through the costume bin. And we put together these, these outfits for ourselves and we gave, gave ourselves names. I was Blue Suit Bob. And that night we got up on stage. We had no idea what we were doing. In fact, we were so ignorant that um, we made our theme song, Staying Alive, at a camp for kids with cancer. But it was... It was it was bad. Uh, but somehow, 
somehow we did a really good job and kids really liked us and families really liked us and the staff really liked us. And we had so much fun. So Tuesday came, we did it again. Wednesday came, we did it again. Thursday came, we did it again. And Friday, it was time to leave. I was in my car, I was starting to drive away and my window rolled down and the director said, hey, what do you think about coming back and doing program with us next year? I thought, wow, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. That's what I said to him. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, much less next summer, but let's think about it. And, and just as Jesus is the hound of heaven, this guy was the hound of side by side and he stayed on me. And he invited me back, and, and I said yes. And since that time, I've come to learn this idea of interruption that Dan's talked about. I want to I take it one step farther. It interrupts in terms of your schedule, sure. It interrupted what I was doing that summer. It interrupted what I'm doing for the next 14 years of my life. But more so, it has interrupted who I know myself to be. And it's interrupted who I know God to be. My theology for the past 14 years has been completely shaped by my experience walking alongside kids with cancer, walking alongside their dads, walking alongside their siblings as they've journeyed through the most difficult crisis of their life. Something that I can't understand. I'm not prepared for it. I've been around it for 14 years. And if I have a kid with cancer, I won't know what to do. I'll be a babbling idiot. And yet God has put me in this place and he's taught me a lot about himself in doing so. I've been to more funerals than I can count on these two hands. In fact, I spoke at one for a five-year-old. When I was introduced, I was introduced as, as, as Jenna's boyfriend. And, and you're noticing a theme here, I don't know. But uh, that's not right. That's not right. And it causes you to wrestle with God. But it... Because... Cancer isn't part of God's plan. In fact, I think God's plan is what we see in John 10.10, which is going to come up here on the screen. And it says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Life abundant. And cancer, and laying in a bed with chemo, and seeing a marriage rock, that's not life abundant. That's not at all. But yet, Jesus keeps calling us in. Because I think we have a chance when we answer that tap on the shoulder. Like, I didn't come looking for a call. I, I said yes to a tap on the shoulder. And Jesus has revealed a call in my life over the past 14 years. And that call is to walk alongside these families. And the neat thing about God is he doesn't ask us to do it all. First of all, he's, he's got the whole thing under his, his control, under his arms. But he's put a lot of people around these families. He's put doctors who are really, really good. Seattle Children's is a really amazing place if you've never been there. Not only is it a cool building, but it's full of some of the most compassionate, smart people in the world. So my job isn't to cure cancer. There are financial resources for these families. So my job isn't to make sure that they make it out financially okay. But my job gets to be to be friends. I get to be a friend with a 10-year-old girl, 5-year-old girl, 15-year-old boy, whoever it might be, their dads, their moms, their siblings, whatever it might be. And I think I can do a pretty good job of that. I can launch rockets. I can launch water balloons in the park. I can go up to the top of the Space Needle and look around. I can go down to the waterfront and skip stones. I, that I can do. So why not say yes to that? And... And as I look at it, 
I think, God, you're really good. Because when we come, the beautiful thing about camp, and there's going to be a picture up here of 200-something of people here in a second. There it is. This is camp last year. This is our group photo. It's about 130 volunteers, about 100 campers that show up. And when I look at that, I think that's the body of Christ. All standing together in the midst of crisis, bringing our gifts. In fact, I kind of equate it to the little drummer boy. When you, um, when you think of that Christmas song of a little drummer boy, it's about a guy who says, you know what, Jesus? I'm really glad you're here. I got nothing to offer except I can play my drum. And there have been, there's a guy who owns a salon, one of the high-end salons near Pike Place, who said, I can cut hair. So what do we do? We have a, a, a mom's spa every year at camp where they get their hair cut and their nails done and, every, and massages and all this stuff. We have dads, who have, men who have said, you know what? I can race cars and I can have a beer. Anybody else on that? <laughs> And so what did we do? We decided we're going to take the dads off site and we're going, to, we're going to let them race cars together. We're going to let them be together as men and then we're going to go get a beer. I don't know, has anybody here seen The Shawshank Redemption? What a great movie. And in that movie, there's a scene where they're on top of the building because he's done the, the taxes for the warden or whatever and, and he's earned himself a chance to have a beer for all his guys. It's a really cool scene. Well, let me tell you this. If you gather 20 dads who have spent the last two years inside Seattle Children's Hospital in the Ronald McDonald House and work moving back and forth between their workplace and home, and you say, you know what? You get to sit around together with people that know you, people that get what you're going at through, and you get to have a beer. It looks just like the Shawshank Redemption. It's just like, oh. And I get to be a part of that. And we all step forward because... Really, Jesus says, I have perfectly prepared you to do good works that, that I have put before you. And I don't know what that, I didn't know 14 years ago what that was going to be for me. I just answered a, a tap on the shoulder. And then I've tried to be obedient to it. And then you just kind of walk with your hands wide open. And you say, what's next? It could be that I never step foot in children's hospital again. I don't plan on that being the case. But, but I need to be obedient. I need to be open to answering that tap on the shoulder. I certainly, and Dan will tell you this when he gets back up here, I'm not the same guy I was 14, 15 years ago because I said yes. And suddenly I realized, you know, I'm actually kind of funny. And you know what? I'm actually, I have a gift to be empathetic and to sit by somebody's bedside and to just be present. These are all things that I did not know I had. Because God interrupted my idea of who I am, and he showed me who he is. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and share a little bit about that story. I've skipped over so much. Dan gave me 15 minutes to talk about 15 years. It's not enough. But I hope it's given you a glimpse into what it looks like when you just say yes. And when you try to be obedient. And I really appreciate the chance. Thank you very much. First service, but uh, church, if you just stretch out your hands to my buddy here.
Lord, we know that even by him being here, we, we understand the lives that are represented here and, and the lives of these precious children, Lord, and, and their parents and their siblings. And we just pray, Lord, for your continued love to just be on display through Andrew and through the doctors and through everyone involved, that the body of Christ truly would rise up, just as Andrew was talking about, Lord, and each person playing their part, each person giving what they have to give. And we pray that over Andrew as well, Lord, that you just continue to give him vision, Lord, for his own life and his own calling in his life, but also that he'd never be afraid, never be afraid to walk into a room, no matter how dark it seems or hopeless it seems, that he would always be able to walk in and bring the hope of Jesus Christ wherever he goes. We thank you for him today and for sharing with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Compassion changes lives. It changes others' lives. And like Andrew just said, it also changes ours. It also changes ours. It, every time you do what I did, every time you walk on by, I want the, you to hear this. Not only did you miss an opportunity to impact someone else, but you may have missed out on an opportunity for God to impact you. I can just look at Andrew's life. He has changed. In the 15 years that I've known him, he has truly been changed. So there you go. We are called by God to care. We see Paul and he talks about Timothy. He says, I don't have anyone like Timothy. I mean, this guy really cares. Most people, they only care for themselves. And they don't care for what matters to Jesus. Remember, when you get closer to Jesus, the more you care about the things that Jesus cares about. And the more you care about the things that Jesus cares about, you're going to get closer to Jesus. And the opposite is true as well. The further away you get from Christ, the less you care. And the less you care, the further you get from Christ. I just say that. Be like Andrew. Be like anyone else that you see that is pursuing Jesus. Doesn't have all the answers. Is trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. But he continues to go to Jesus for the solution. And I just say this as a church. The question is, what kind of church are we going to be? And I just say that if you're going to call this place home, this is the kind of people we're going to be. I'll answer you for you. We're going to be a church that cares. We're going to be a people who care. That when somebody visits the church or they see us in the community, they, they might say, I don't believe in all that you believe in. Or I don't agree with all that you agree with. Maybe they'll say that, but I pray they would never be able to say that we are a people who don't care. May God have mercy on me. I'm being honest. May God have mercy on me for walking on by. I take that very seriously. But may God have mercy on you as well. And anytime we have that conversation, and again, you know what conversation I'm talking about. Should I stop or should I go? I'm not saying for you to do every good thing that's out there and just say yes to everything. I'm saying be, say yes to God. Sure, there's things that you're not supposed to do, but there's also some things that you are supposed to do. I'm just saying that we would be obedient to the call of God on our lives. Saying yes to God. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. They have just a smoking killer song that they've prepared that they're going to sing for us today. But while they're singing, we're going to do something. I want to give you some instructions. Now, not everyone has to do this. This is just for some of us. But we put a banner back there called to care. And the reality is during this message, the Lord might have been stirring something up within you. I want you to pay attention to this. Maybe it was a, a nonprofit that maybe you should be a part of or volunteering at. Maybe it's just a compassion that you know that you haven't had before and the Lord is stirring up within you. Maybe you've always had this negative viewpoint of poor people. Every time you think of a poor person, you just get bitter and you get mad at the government and you get mad at them and, and you just start complaining. But the Lord today is softening your heart that you're supposed to have compassion for them. Maybe it's your next door neighbor that you realize you're just grumpy about them because of the mole problem. But yet the Lord now is saying that you should, is that my deal? Um, that maybe you should have compassion for them. 
And so we're going to get creative on that. Maybe you just need to draw something and do a picture. It's just an opportunity for you to express what the Lord has put on you today. And I have a new one for second service. I'm going to draw as, as inappropriately as I can. Not inappropriately, but just poorly. I'm going to do some glasses. Because guess what? We'll put a little eyes there and a little nose. and a, Oh, look at that. I am such a good artist. Oh, smile. I'm going to put glasses on there. Because guess what? I need to have eyes of faith. So much of my time is consumed on what I'm doing, my plans, my goals, my agenda, my work, my meetings, that sometimes I lose the fact that I need to look up and I need to see the harvest. And I need to have eyes of faith that God has called me to something bigger than what I wrote down on my planner for what I was going to do that morning. That I need to open my eyes and even put on God goggles to see what God has planned for my day. Amen. Amen. So that's my thing. And I don't know what your thing is. I'm not going to tell you what your thing is, but as they sing this song, just some of you, they're going to have markers back there. They'll be standing back there. Now go ahead and come up and uh, write down what you want to write down. That's a beautiful picture, by the way. We bring the kingdom. God, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be moved, Lord, moved to compassion, moved to action. Move us so deeply with this slagnisomai that we would have to act. That we would have to act. That we would be individuals in this church that we could not even leave this building without showing compassion to someone in need. God, I pray that you give us eyes, like I just wrote down on that piece of paper, eyes to see these divine interruptions. God, I pray that every single day we would see our lives as a ministry, ministry opportunities to show you, to show your love, that you would slow us down from our busy lives to show you to this world, that you would give us a heart so big that we would act upon what you've called us to do, that we would love and act and move according to your will, Lord. As we continue to pray, there's some of you that I just get it. As I shared that story in Sumner, you can relate so well. You understand. In fact, in your life, maybe you've drifted from Christ. And you've gotten to experience that negative snowball effect that I was talking about. And you just know it. You're out of step with the heart of God. If that's you this morning, just pray silently to the Lord. Just within your heart, say, God, I need you. God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. God, make me aware. Make me aware of the calling on my life, of these divine interruptions that you have for me. God, move me so deeply within me, deep within me. Spagniso, my Lord, that I would want to act, that I, as a human being, would have to act. For those of you that would say... With all heads bowed, that you are characterized more by what you're against than what you're for. More about not caring than for caring. For those of you that need Jesus to draw you so close to him this morning that he would be able to change you by his Holy Spirit. That you would care about what he cares about. If today you need God to change your heart and make you more caring, would you lift up your hands right now? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Me too. Amen. We put our hands down. God, I pray. That you would break our hearts, that you would break my heart for the very things that break your, Lord, that you would make us disgusted with the things that disgust you. God, I pray that you would give us that aching on the inside that would be so real that we would have to show your love on the outside in our actions. God, that you would give us those divine interruptions. That we would see them and we would seize them. We would take action, God. That we could make a difference all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. That others would see his love and your love on display through us. As we continue to pray, there's some of you, I, I get it. You're, you're just thinking, you know, I don't even know what to think of all this. I don't even feel worthy to be used by God. How can I act on behalf of God? In fact, I, I feel far from God. I feel distance 
from God. And I'm just here to tell you as a pastor that your sin separates you from God. And the challenge is that sometimes we try to do all these good things to work our way to God. If I do uh, some really good things and don't do some bad things, then God will accept me. God will be pleased with me. But the reality is, Scripture says that the only way that we can please God is by faith and faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that you can never be made right with God on your own works and by your own works. You can never work hard enough or good enough to earn favor with God. Some of you need to hear this this morning. The only way that you are made right with God is by grace through faith. We are saved by grace. And as Andrew so eloquently said, this is the beautiful thing about being saved by grace. We are saved by his goodness, but we are saved for good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. But again, there are some of you, you do not have that relationship with Christ. And you are sitting here this morning and you go, I do not know what to do. How can I get to God? Well, you don't work your way to God. You surrender your way to God. You say, I have, I have, I have sinned, God. I have sinned against the holy God and I need you. I need rescue. I need saving. I need your forgiveness. And I just want to let you know as we're praying, this is what God did for you. God had so much compassion on you. Scripture tells us that while you were a sinner, Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, your sins. So when you call on Jesus, when you say, Lord, have mercy on me, Lord, forgive me. When you pray a prayer like that, the Bible tells us that all of your sins are removed forgiven as if they never were. You become brand new, a new creation, totally changed forever and ever. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be able, listen to this, this is good news. You'll be able to talk to God, but you'll also be able to hear from God. And God is going to stir you up for the things that he cares about. He's going to give you compassion and you're going to say yes to him. But before you can hear him with that spagnesomai, you have to come to Jesus and you have to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't go a second or longer without you. I need you to forgive me, to save me to rescue me have mercy on me lord i ask for surrender in my life that you would be first in everything that i do that you'd be my lord that you'd be my savior that you would be my life jesus i give you my life jesus give me new life that i would serve you the rest of my life the rest of my days on this earth if that's you this morning if that's your heart this morning would you raise your hand so that i can pray with you so i can worship with you can i celebrate god with you anybody no one's raising their hand is there anyone in this room that you know you need Jesus? I see you in the back. Absolutely. I see you in the back. I see you in the middle. I see you over on the side. Absolutely. Absolutely. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. You just made the best decision of your life. The best decision of your life. Church, this is good news. Would you pray with me? We're going to pray. And some of you, this is the first time you've ever prayed this. I just want you to know that you are leaving this room with Jesus on the inside. You are leaving with a helper, the Holy Spirit, on the inside. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. But I'm telling you it's going to be abundant. And it's going to be full of the love of God. And there's a body of Christ that loves you so much. And is going to be with you and walk with you and help you and pray for you. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Transform me. This is a guarantee, by the way, as we're praying this, these are true. These aren't just desires or wishes. This actually will happen. Make me brand new. Make me brand new. I know Jesus died for me so that I could live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you always. Thank you for new life. Now I give you mine. In Jesus' name, I pray. Would somebody celebrate? But somebody celebrate.
Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with us? If you raise your hand, I just want to encourage you. We have a starter kit for you. Go ahead and stand. We have a starter kit for you. It has some information on what it means to be a Christian. We have a Bible. We want you to take this. Uh, it's our gift to you. And I would just encourage you to take it home, open it up, read it, uh, email us, ask me a thousand questions. I've got 2,000 answers so you can pick the ones that you like best. Uh, I would just encourage you dive into this. The Lord loves you. you. You weren't here by accident. This was not a mistake that you came this morning. And I just encourage you, encourage you encourage you god loves you and next time when you walk out of here this is the cool thing and this is everyone who's a christian knows this the next time you you walk out of here as a christian and 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 you hear something and you're like hey i I want you to go do that and you're going to be able to say okay listen to this story you got to hear the story before we go sandy gascoigne she comes up to me afterwards and she goes listen to this dan i come to church this morning I have a, she goes, I have a heart for the homeless. And she says, and I'm driving, and there's a pillow in the middle of the street. And she goes, I knew it was a homeless man's pillow. And I drove by. But then the Holy Spirit was telling me I need to stop and get that pillow, because it was somebody's pillow. And that pillow, she said, this, that pillow mattered to Jesus. And so she stops. This is before my message. Stops, turns around. Gets out of the car in the middle of a busy street, grabs that pillow, and she takes it out and she puts it on the side. And she makes it available for someone that might need a pillow to grab that pillow. And then she says, you know, the Lord is putting a pillow ministry on my, on my heart. That I would just have all these pillows. I could put these pillows out so that people that need a pillow, that God cares about the pillow. And I just want to encourage you, if you gave your life to the Lord this morning... God is going to give you that. He's going to speak that to you. And guess what? You have the power to actually do what God has called you to do by the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you to get this and be excited and call me and question me and ask me and let me pray for you. I care about you guys so much, but God cares about you even more. And he's going to speak to you. Let our eyes be open. Let our goggles be wide and open that God is on the move. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Be blessed. Lord, I pray over everyone here, Lord, that you would encourage them by your spirit, that they be reminded that God is not dead. He surely is alive. And your spirit is calling us. And your spirit is tapping us on the shoulder. As much as Andrew 15 years ago was tapped on the shoulder, Lord, right now you are tapping some of us on the shoulder. And we don't have the next 15 years planned out. In fact, if you asked Andrew, he would never be able to tell you that this is where he'd be. But he said yes to God. And today, Lord, I pray would be day one of some of us saying yes to God. And we look forward to the test to the story and to the celebration 15 years from now of all that you have done, God, through our obedience to saying yes to you, God. You are so good in this place. We celebrate you, God. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Glory to you, God. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week.